0: Good evening everyone, welcome to our live broadcast Today we're looking at I'm going to go on to the book of fives I'm not reading the entire thing But uh, skimming through the book of fours didn't find anything that struck me as um, that's exceptionally useful for us in an immediate meditative sense. So I'm going to skip ahead to Book of Fives, Sutta Fif- uh, 14. I'm going to skip ahead to the five powers. I'm going to talk about the five powers from the point of view of the um, the texts. So let's get there. Fifteen. No, fourteen. So these are these are powers. Now they're also referred to as faculties. Um, and there might be a bit of a difference. These powers, well, the way they're described here, they're not actually what is necessary. and we'll see that we'll see that when we when we talk about their definitions important to understand we all have these five faculties. And the 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 descriptions here are some some of the uses or some of the ways these faculties can be developed into powerful mind states. Not all of which are necessary. And not all and all of which are exactly related to the path, mainly, but the, the, the definitions will give us a sense of what they are, I shouldn't be too stuck on these for various reasons, Alex. So, well, you should be able to see, so these five powers are uh, faith, sadha, sometimes we like to translate it as confidence, but here actually faith works better. Vidya bala the power of effort. Sati bala. Sati would normally be translated as mindfulness, but we're not going to. We really never should. But here we're especially not going to because of the definition. Sati means the ability to remember. Sati means, one word would be recollection. We don't really have a good word for it in English. Samadhi, number four, Samadhi bala, focus, mm-hmm. or concentration. And Panya bala, the power of wisdom, but thoroughly, nya, knowledge, thorough knowledge deep knowledge real knowledge real knowledge beyond just intellectual knowledge but knowing something deeply, truly viscerally these are the five powers so what are these five sadhā? what does it mean to have sadhā faith well, the most powerful faith what should we have faith in? Many people would say, well, have faith in yourself. Maybe. And it's important to have confidence in yourself, in your ability to, to succeed. If you doubt your own ability, you become discouraged. But that's not really the most important, it isn't really the most important type of faith or confidence. Most important, of course, is that you have confidence in what you're doing and that includes confidence in your teacher if you don't have those then you got a problem so the best kind of faith is faith in the Buddha often people will miss this miss that you you need to have faith in the system in which you're, in which you're, which you're undertaking and so this includes in the Dhamma in the teachings of the Buddha But in, mo- mostly in the the Buddha himself Because if you have faith in him, well then of course you have faith in his teachings And so often this is construed as meaning you have to start by believing Which should be a very unfortunate um, truth if it were true because it would mean blind faith, right? It would mean believing something for no good reason. It's really what blind faith is, right? These religions that require faith, what they're talking about is faith for no good reason. And then uh, we'll make up reasons. Our reason is because we've had some profound experience and we deliberately interpret that to mean something that gives us faith. So we talk about the religious experience. people have someone will have a an ecstatic experience or a feeling of love or a feeling of oneness, and they'll say that's God or that's Buddha or that's enlightenment, you see. We interpret our experiences and in ways that help us gain faith. Some meditators will look for these experiences. And when they get them, they'll say, yes, now I have faith because I had that experience. But it's kind of silly. It's, a, it's, a, it's an artificial um, affectation of faith. It's not real. none of those faiths are really really the best kind of faith so the best kind of faith is, is with reason you know, and, and a good reason is meeting the Buddha if you meet the Buddha and you just say wow this guy clearly knows what he's talking about you can tell by his manner, by his demeanor you can tell by the words he uses the way he speaks how well he's able to cut through all the fluff and get right to the core of reality and truth. So meeting the Buddha is a good reason to have faith in him. Listening to the Buddha is a good reason to have faith in him. And so reading the Buddha's teachings is a good reason to have faith in him. When you read through the Tipitika, there are some things that I would agree many people find objectionable, but they're few and far between for the most part. You wouldn't find in here any any idea or concept that the Buddha in, in enjoined violence, that he promoted unwholesomeness, that he encouraged cultivation of harm. You find probably the best and most complete a uh, set of, of teachings of doctrines on on good on good love compassion uh, humility nonviolence morality ethics concentration focus mindfulness wisdom, above and beyond you find wisdom you find a clear and um, parsimonious expression of the truth, parsimonious meaning you know there's no fluff there's no fat, it's quite trimmed, sometimes brutally so, in the sense of uh, not pulling any punches And that gives someone faith. That being said, you could argue that that's, you know, faith in the Buddha himself. It's not really necessary to become enlightened, right? And because uh, Pachekabuddha Buddha ostensibly has no faith in the Buddha. So the idea that you need to cultivate this, and that this is a precursor or prerequisite for meditation, which I've heard from Buddhists, is dangerous, it's problematic, because it encourages the cultivation of blind faith. And um, I mean, the, really the point here is that the only person who has pure, perfect faith is someone who has become enlightened because once they become enlightened they have no doubt that a Buddha is a Buddha. They might doubt whether this person or that person is a Buddha or or is an arahant or is a Sotapanna but they won't doubt that if they know that this person is a Sotapanna and this person is not that the person who is a Sotapanna is far far better. They have have no misconception of that and and, so much more so for an arahant. They have no doubt about the the difference between someone who gets angry and someone who doesn't get angry, someone who is greedy and someone who's not greedy. Whereas an ordinary person wouldn't have that sense. They wouldn't know whether, given this person who gets greedy, this person who doesn't, which person should I listen to? Which person should I look up to? They might have heard that it's, oh, greed is bad, but they won't have the real deep understanding, the clear and perfect understanding. Of Breed being a sign, a clear sign, a decisive sign that someone is not enlightened, or anger, or delusion. So that's saddha. What we really need for meditation, and for meditation purposes, is um, faith in what we're doing. You could say faith in yourself, your ability to do it. faith in our teachers. You need this. But, you know, it comes up, and this isn't to say that if you find yourself doubting these things, that you should leave, you should stop. You're useless, you know, you're unable to continue. What it means is, these are hindrances. So either you decide that what you're doing is wrong, or you recognize that, hmm, some doubt is just delusion, some doubt is just wrong, because it's possible to doubt that which is not worthy of doubt. It's even possible to doubt that which you have become sure, you know, intellectually anyway, as being of being good that you've seen that you've seen proof or evidence, not proof but evidence, significant and pretty much conclusive evidence of it being beneficial. because we're quick to forget and we become uh, overwhelmed by doubt even about things that are not worthy of doubt. That's an important point to note. So just because you doubt something doesn't mean that thing is worthy of doubt. Our tradition is quite simple. If you doubt, you would say doubting, doubting, let it go. If you stick to that kind of mindset, then you never fall into trouble, you never come to something that is worthy of doubting. Because, well, doubt is doubt, so what's to doubt about that, right? You say to yourself, doubting, doubting. You're saying something that's true. You're sticking to reality, to truth. So the best way to cultivate this kind of the best kind of faith for a meditator is uh, by by reminding yourself, doubting, doubting. Let it go. You'll feel better. Number two, Virya, you need effort. So we've talked about effort in the Book of Fours. Akusalanang dhammang pahanaya, kusalanang dhammang upasampadaya. For the destruction of unwholesomeness and the cultivation or causing to arise wholesome, wholesome dhammas. The the point being here that good th- good things don't just come to those who wait. Good things. Goodness doesn't just arise by itself. Those people who say that everything happens for a reason, that no. uh, everything turns out well in the end. I don't. Know. I mean, it really doesn't. And we're not all going to become enlightened. I mean, I think. One problem we have as a modern as as society is that we've become somewhat complacent with our happily ever after culture. We're too accustomed to watching movies and reading books and listening to stories about everything ending well. There's, there are notable exceptions. Shakespeare often doesn't end well. Nonetheless, to to a great extent we get lulled into this false sense of security. We might we might be lost in samsara, we might be destined to go to hell. We don't know what our future has in store for us. Horrible things could happen to us tomorrow, today, in this life certainly. And so effort is required if you want goodness. If you want to overcome suffering, you need effort. Viriyena dukkhamajeti Cross-suffering using effort. Good things aren't going to come, bad things aren't just going to go away unless you work for it. That's viriyat. Sati. Sati here is curious. But at the very least it gives us an understanding of what it really means, not mindfulness. So I'll read you the English. Here the noble disciple is mindful. He uses the translation. Let's see what... I think he's just translating satto, right? All right, sati says It which just means has sati. It doesn't mean mindful. Let's read the Pali, it's better. Sati is... Uh, possessed of Sati I don't know if I can translate it, forget that Possessing Supreme Sati and Wisdom Sati Parama Samanagata Paramena Sati Niketa Nepakena Nepaka is discrimination Nipaka—it's a good word. You don't often see it paired with uh, with sati. It comes from nipaka. Sati nipaka—one who has sati and nipaka—clever, um, careful, and that, that it's there to help us understand what sati is. The fact that they're paired together here. So there's some sense of. The penetrating of the experience, going beyond ordinary observation—that's what nipaka would I would say, think implies here. Samanāgata has these things. But then, curiously enough, the Buddha says cīra kātampi, sarīta anusarīta, Jira kāta, long kata, done sarati, anusarati one recollects, one remembers, one recollects that which was done long ago that which was said long ago jirabhasitampi idang vucati satibala this is called satibala So the important takeaway is that sati means to remember. Sati has very much to do with memory. The ability to remember things that happened a long time ago, that's sati. So it's clear that mindfulness is not a good translation just from that. That at least we can get from this. The question of um, whether this is the best understanding of, like, say, the satipatthana, you have to you have to somehow make a, a connection there. Why is the Buddha talking about things long ago? I think it c- should be clear from this and other teachings that the Buddha doesn't um, recommend, encourage as a general practice, the dwelling on things that have passed. Right, going back to the past. He does talk about recollecting past lives, which is in a roundabout way useful for cultivating a sense of context for our practice. But all that we can get from this, and I think probably all that we should take from this, is that the ability to remember things that happened long ago and were said long ago, is a sign that someone has a sharp mind a sign that someone has this sati this ability to remember sarita one remembers anusarita one remembers about and so how we relate this to satipatthana in in English is by saying one remembers or one is able to remember the true nature of reality is able to remember the present moment remember remember the objects of experience to not forget right? to be um, clearly aware that this is this thing things are what they are and so hence again because I've already always um, often explained um, it's why we remind ourselves why we use the word the mantra it's why mantra meditation is so powerful so important because of this word sati the cultivation of um, the ability to remember the present moment, to remember something. In the case of Samatha meditation, to remember the object, the concept. In the case of vipassana meditation, to remember the ultimate reality. Seeing is seeing, hearing is hearing, pain is pain, and so on. So you can see how this is related, how the word remembrance or recollection is a good good translation of the word sati, and we should be careful about this word mindfulness, because it's somewhat vague and it leads to vague meditation, it leads to meditation where you just sit there and watch stuff. Can be useful generally, but somewhat vague, imprecise. Anyway, number four, Samadhi. Now, Samadhi here, of course, talks about the four jhanas, these jhanas that we have such trouble with in our tradition because it appears that we're perhaps not practicing these. So, granted, these are all, all the absorptions when you absorb into a single object. That's very powerful. But again, we can't take this as meaning that you have to go into those Nor should we take these to, to be some sort of, necessarily some sort of trance state What they mean is that your mind becomes focused And being focused, there's happiness, there's peace, there's clarity of mind, equanimity And this can be achieved through through vipassana, sayada does something somewhat clever and probably based on all the criticism. Uh, and he says that, well, vipassana, there are, we have vipassana-jhanas. And he describes the four jhanas in terms of the practice of vipassana. You can find his description in the his discourse on the Salekha Sutta. It's quite interesting. Nonetheless, the mind has to be focused. What you shouldn't do is try to cultivate just insight, without any kind of focus. And so again, it's a good reason to use a mantra, because it keeps you focused. It focuses your inten- attention. It has a power to it. That's so concentration. And finally, wisdom. And this is a good definition of wisdom. Let's read the Pali. Ida, where is it? Ida here monks Arya a disciple of the noble ones Panyavahoti, is wise possessing of wisdom Udaya Panyaya Samanagato Which means the arising Udaya uh, I don't know what the second word is. Atta, at, at, I guess we mean being, right? Existence. And gaminiya, the going. Udayatta gaminiya, the arising, existing. Oh, well maybe are not. Maybe the atta, I'm not sure where, it, where it's from. Anyway, at least the arising and passing away. Sometimes they refer to the being, the arising, existing. And then ceasing. Banyaya. With the wisdom of the arising and ceasing, one is possessed, one is uh, in possession of. And th- this is an important point to keep in mind uh, that wisdom, from from Buddhist point of view, really the only truly necessary wisdom is this, is seeing, arising, and ceasing. It's the beginning of vipassana, uh, when you start to realize that reality is made up of that which arises and ceases. You start to look at, not only looking at experience, but you see that experience is simply that. Stuff that arises and ceases. You stop looking at it as me, mine, good, bad. Vipassana really starts when you start to just see things as arising and ceasing. You're able to start to look at things objectively. You're able to watch them arise and cease. And so you begin to look and you see more and more. And finally you come to the realization that everything, everything that arises ceases. Which is a profound realization because, um, not simply because of its intellectual value, but because that focus takes away from the mind the idea that uh, there's anything that arises that could be uh, satisfying, that could be a refuge, that can be valuable. Nothing that arises is of any value because immediately it ceases and that's what leads one to realize Nibbāna Aryaya nibedikāya sammadukha kayagāmiña one is uh, one has the noble dispassion thing, right? Oh no, no, Nibeda means penetrative. Right. Which is noble and penetrative and leads to the right destruction of suffering. That's wisdom. Hidangwutchati So these are the five powers. Now I've talked about them in my booklet, about how you have to balance them. If you haven't read my booklet, well, you shouldn't be here. You should be off reading my booklet, or doing something else, if you're not interested in reading my booklet. So I'm not going to go into detail in that, but uh, I recommend reading the booklet. It talks about balancing these five, and, and more how they relate to meditation. I'm going to stop there. So that's the Dhamma portion. Now we have the question portion, and with me to help is Robin.
1: Bhante, I've read in an Abhidhamma book that craving can be categorized as male craving and female craving, since the difference is what determines which Bhava Rupani gender element one gets at conception. Based on that can we say that the mind has a gender since craving does condition our habits in the mind?
0: No we can't say that the mind has a gender. If there's male craving it's not male craving it would be craving for the male form Males don't have a different kind of craving than women. There would be craving for a type of gender. That's what that would mean. It wouldn't mean the craving of a male, it would be the craving for a male. It would be the clinging or the uh, liking of the male form or the female form, which would indeed determine which bhava-rupa you get. You know, the best way to deal with mosquitoes, catch them in your hand and if you want I do sometimes shake them up a little bit but if you just release them they somehow get confused and they float away it's quite interesting
1: The best way to get rid of bees is to put a broom out because they, they'll land on it and you can bring them right outside okay. and things. Yeah.
0: They're like brooms
1: they do, they'll, they'll walk right on it, and you can carry them out. And... Hmm.
0: Are you reading questions, or am I?
1: Oh, I... Dear Bhante, are you a vegetarian? No. Buddhism teaches that in this world, that this world is just an illusion, a thought within consciousness, and meaningless have become depressed because of this, seeing this world as an illusion and meaning. What should I do?
0: Yeah, Buddhism doesn't teach really that the world is an illusion. So. If you're depressed, you should read my booklet and say to yourself, depressed, depressed. That will make you feel better.
1: I daily practice we pass on a meditation. I want to one over meditation sitting MP three. Please help me.
0: Sorry no idea what you're asking something about an mp3 which i don't have well, we have some mp3s right but mm, i think you have to be a little clearer
1: what is the effect to our minds when being able to meditate for longer periods is that preferable for better insight I'm already feeling the effect of my short sessions, two per day of 30 to mid 40 minutes walking and sitting. So, just wondering.
0: I would say there's an optimum ratio between the length or the length of time of each session and the number of sessions you do. So, if you're doing two per day, it might not be well. If you're doing two per day. Um, at say, well as you say, 30 to 40, it might be in your better interests of doing... better interest... it might be in your... might be better in your... what am I trying to say? might be more... in your best interest. in your best interest to... in your better interest, I guess is what I was trying to say. I don't even know if that works. To, um, to add another session, a third session, rather than doing uh, two-hour sessions, right? Or I don't know if you mean 30 to 40 each. If you mean 30 40 together, well then probably you'd want to increase it a little bit. But if you're doing like 30, 30 minutes walking, 30 minutes sitting twice a day, you have to see for yourself, rather than pushing yourself really hard and then having all this time where you lose everything you gained, Right? Because if you do long sessions, it's more, more taxing, especially on someone whose mindfulness is not very high. So if you increase that time, because there's so much time in between sessions, um, you're not actually a very good meditator in general. So that, that hour that you do, or two hours that you do, is, is stressful. But if you, uh, if you instead added a short another shorter session, relatively shorter session, uh, in between, then your, your your proficiency would increase, so then you could start to lift it up. You see, so there's a ratio between number of sittings per day and uh, length of, of practice. and that depends very much on the person. Don't ask me. I know everyone wants a schedule. How many hours, how many minutes. You can't really do that. I mean we go through that in a, in a meditation course. But it's the kind of thing that we'd have to do together in consultation. Okay, I'm sorry, but Chad is going to be banned from our site. Sorry. How do we do this? We can't ban, but we can remove, so that's the best we can do. Well, that works. Well, they can always sign up, but they have to use their email to sign up, so.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Hmm. Anyway, that person's gone.
1: While doing sitting meditation and feeling strain and pain on the lower back, I say strained, strained. But when it doesn't go away and getting more painful, I start panicking, saying it more times faster, like a robot saying error, error. Should I say panic to relate to the new object? what would you recommend?
0: Well, you can't say pain, pain, pain. It doesn't work. It has to be objective. When you're panicking, you can't say panic, panic. If you start panicking, yeah, you should say panicked, right? Stressed, stressed, worried, worried, afraid, afraid. (laughs) Absolutely. If you start saying it quicker, then yeah, there's something else there that you should be noting. It should be quite... Copacetic. copacetic
1: Bhante, is it fair to say that to be an arahant faith is required since one has to follow the teachings of another as opposed to the special case of Buddhas and Pacheka Buddhas who discover the path by themselves?
0: You're asking it's, It depends how you want me to answer that um, If you want me to answer that from the point of view the Abhidhamma Then of course there are moments of Saddha Saddha has to be a part of some of the moments But you know Saddha is in the Abhidhamma sense is, um, In the Abhidhamma sense is very much The The confidence of the mind state in you know, the moment of the mind that among many other good qualities has no wavering no doubt basically it just doesn't mean it faith in any specific thing it just means a sense of composure um, but and and that's you know so if you're going to talk about what is required you can only talk in terms of ultimate reality so to say that this is required or that is required is you, you can't really do that except in terms of abhidhamma. So to say that yes, you must at some point in your practice have faith, right? Because again, you can't have faith twenty four hours a day. You can't sit there like not, you know, right? It's not that you gain faith and then you have faith. We only have faith in the moments when we think of the Buddha and and, and have some kind of appreciation in those moments we have faith. Now, are those moments necessary in your progress? No, those moments are not necessary. They're useful, highly useful and r- recommended and so on, but they're not necessary. But I, get w- I get what you're getting at, um, but I think the answer is no. I think that based on what I assume you're trying to, to ask, uh, the answer is no. Requ- what the difference with the Arahant is they need to learn from the the Buddha, the Dhamma. They need to le- learn from a Buddha. Um, but, uh, but the faith that they have to have is not so much different from that of a Pacheka Buddha. They just have to have the collectedness of mind that is free from doubt. And, and it's just a technical sadha, it's just a technical faith It's technically those mind states have faith But you can get that just by experimenting without any faith in what you're doing And I suppose to some extent you could call it faith Because we do talk about this faith that when someone says, you know, this leads to this well, just even to try it, right? You need a you need a moment of faith. But it's it's you know to call it faith is a bit of a stretch because you, you're not accepting it. you you're just giving them the benefit of the doubt. So if giving someone the benefit of the doubt is faith, yeah. But that's all you need. So it's I mean it's a bit just a bit tricky because we start to get technical and then you know, it's a very different realm when you start to get technical. But every any time you say, "X is requ- is X required," you kind of have to get technical.
1: Do you think concentration or samatha meditation can be used by some people as an escape from life? in the same way an alcoholic person drinks to distract themselves from their troubles?
0: It can be, absolutely. You can get attached to it as well. Ajahn Chah said it's based on craving. Ajahn Chah, this guy who all these people look up to, there's a bunch of Buddhists in my tradition who are, who are fairly... Uh, cr- well, not, not all of them are, but some of them are. Some of them are really good and actually they appreciate our tradition. Because our tradition is big in Thailand, but their tradition is as well. But in their tradition they don't have meditation courses. So I've been told that if you go to Wat Chat, and you're looking for a meditation course, they'll tell you to go to our, one of our centers. And if you've come from one of our centers, as I understand, they'll let you practice our, our technique. Um, someone recently said to me, there's an Ajahn Chah Center near where they live, and he's been to see the, these people, and they said it's fine if he practices our tradition. I think, somehow I remember, I recently was, was uh, talking about this. Or maybe I was the one who said, yeah, I think they would be okay, because generally they are. Um, so, right, getting off track there, but but Ajahn Chah is, is the head of this tradition, and some people in that tradition have gotten really, really obsessed with the idea of having to practice Samatha as a requirement. And and they say, oh no, uh, you of them, I, I, read a, I read a fairly critical article of his, one of his books, where he said that you can't possibly be attached be, to samatha because samatha is is the the freeing yourself of attachment. And so I quoted Ajahn Cha, who was this guy's preceptor, I think, as saying uh, no, it's based on craving. Samatha is not can't be the end all be all end all because it's based on craving. This is the thing, I leave the doors open and these insects come in.
1: As long as that big raccoon doesn't come in.
0: He might, no? That's right, one of these days the raccoon might come into our kitchen. Just find a broom.
1: Hello, I just wanted to ask you what are some good tips for beginner's meditation? And what is the best time to meditate? When tired or when energetic in your opinion
0: well if you haven't read my booklet on how to meditate that's where I would recommend you start if you want to find it it's on this site there's a link to it anyway you go to the menu button in the top left open it up and you'll see a word that says guide click on the guide and it'll take you to the page that has our guide on how to meditate and that page also has a link to a frequently asked questions list which has some good tips so any of you who have read the booklet but are still looking for tips i think that fact is pretty good faq is pretty good it's got a lot of good questions answered i think i mean not to toot my because i was the one who wrote it but yeah it's i think it's adequate at least now uh, best time to meditate Whenever you have time to meditate, meditate.
1: Can you develop insight during walking meditation, or is walking meditation just there to increase the effectiveness of sitting meditation? Of course you can.
0: You can become enlightened in walking. Ananda, no, not Ananda. Uh, But there was a monk, Naga, I think was his name. He... uh, he didn't want to become enlightened, he wanted to wait for Maitreya, I think, but then his students found out that he was dying and he wasn't going to become enlightened and they said, well, what are you doing, you know, here you've taught all of us and you're not enlightened, he said, well, you know, I've, I've meditated, but I've just made a vow to wait for the next Buddha, because he wanted to see the next Buddha, who was going to come in perhaps a long, long time in the future. Uh... But they convinced him, and he said, okay, fine. And he said, look, I'm going to show you a new way to become enlightened, because you hear about people coming becoming enlightened during walking. I'll show you during, or during sitting, so I'll show you during walking. And so he got up and walked, and he became enlightened after taking, like, one step or something. Hmm. Just a second. Looks like we're gonna need a way to ban people. Oh, we can just keep uh, making them keep uh, keep making them sign up, but you know, we'll just keep deleting them. It'll be a game of cat and mouse.
1: What is parinirvana? Is it an experience, a void, or nothing? Can it be described?
0: Parinirvana is... Parinirvana... Parinirvana refers to... means like final nirvana, or complete nirvana. Um, So nirvana is a reality. It's probably the best way to talk about it. Parinirvana means... Um, com- complete a complete nirvana which means a complete end to arising as you could say complete end to suffering if you want to learn about nirvana because it's a very hard thing to talk about um, you could read in the Malinda Panha there's some really good descriptions of nirvana they're not descriptions but they're similes like nirvana is like the top of a mountain because it's far above the ordinary that kind of thing But no, nirvana means the end of suffering. That's all you have to know about it. Because all you have to understand about Buddhism is it it leads you to less and less suffering. So the more you practice, the more you find peace, happiness and freedom from suffering. That's all you really need to know. Nirvana just means no suffering.
1: Sorry, Pante, I'm not sure if it's just my computer, but it looks like these are loading. Is that what you're seeing as well?
0: Maybe we're being hit by some hackers who have gotten angered at the fact that we're deleting their user accounts. I think sometimes you have to reload the the whole thing. But now I'm getting loading as well. There's 32 people on, so that might have something to do with it.
1: It's clear now. Okay. Should we avoid ryth- rhythm when noting,
0: um, or rhyme? Sorry, rhyme. R- no rhythm. Rhythm. Um, you don't really. We don't really try to avoid things, but if it does come up, rhythm is not correct. So you should be noting it as knowing, knowing, uh, so on, like that. Knowing would probably be the best when you realize that you're rhyming. You're, you're not rhyming. You're, you're giving a rhythm to it. You certainly shouldn't encourage a rhythm and if you're getting, gaining a rhythm it's a sign that you're not really being mindful because rhythm requires past and future. The present has no rhythm to it.
1: A friend of mine has critiqued Buddhism as too passive and defeatist. I couldn't really come up with a decent response to this.
0: Sorry, just a second, is too passive. Too passive, right? Too passive. Too passive for what? This is the question. So let's think of some ways in which it might be too passive. Too passive to stop the world from falling apart, right? I mean, Buddhism doesn't make a claim to be able to solve all of the world's problems but nothing else appears to be working Um, and I suppose Buddhism actually makes the claim to being able to solve what did I say, of having the potential to solve all of the world's problems if people practiced it if everyone practiced Buddhism, there would be no problems to solve Buddhism is actually quite powerful in terms of solving the world's problems because it cuts right to the source. So you want us to be very active and get out there and and, and save the world, right? Except all those people who have tried to save the world have ended up you know, being as much a failure as they were a success at the best of times. Let's look at some of the activisms, the good ones, right? Gandhi, let's take Gandhi who was you know whatever controversy there is, there's some sense that he did some good things. Well, I don't, don't want to get into it. Let's not get into it because these are you know, there are good things that these people did. But what is good, what is best about a movement, or what is best about activism is the the state of mind of the person. So Gandhi is good, was good because of the the purity whether it was real or not, but there was a sense, a belief that he was, you know, there was something noble about it. And like Martin Luther King, the rightness of their cause. How do you have rightness of cause? Buddhism focuses on the rightness, focuses on making people's minds right. If your mind is in the wrong way, activism, being active is of no use to anyone uh, Being, def- As far as being defeatist, I mean, nothing could be more farther from the truth Buddhism is very much active um, in terms of fin- finding a solution It says that we are all personally responsible for our universe And it teaches us how to f- uh, find the more ultimate happiness, the ultimate success, you know, to conquer our universe. Buddhism is like a religion of conquering, dominating, winning the game, really. It's very ambitious, actually. But you know, you can just say to him, dude, I'm not, you don't want to practice Buddhism, don't practice Buddhism helps me, makes me, does good things for me, so... But if you don't, you know, if it's not your thing, power to you. Since Buddhism isn't about convincing other people. A decent response might be to find other friends. <laughs> no, I don't know, that's probably too harsh. It's hard, it's hard convincing other people that their views are wrong. And the best way with Buddhism, I think, is just to you know, state facts that it's helped you. Yeah.
1: Can Buddhism help people to deal with the so-called mental illnesses?
0: Yeah, that's what Buddhism is all about. I, mean, I think you're yeah, you're referring to acute mental illness like the ones that are diagnosed. But you have to remember, just because a doctor tells you that you have a mental illness doesn't make it categorically different from the mental illnesses that we all suffer from. They're acute. They're just acute versions of the same thing. So an acute mental illness is, of course, more difficult, but it's not categorically different. Even psychoses, I would argue, are may be in some way categorically different, but in some way not categorically different. Meaning that perhaps not in this life can they be cured. Um, but the mental aspect of them, I would argue that in many cases can be cured. Like a person with schizophrenia could, I would argue, learn to see that their hallucinations are simply hallucinations. That seeing is just seeing, hearing is just hearing and and cease with the paranoia. I would argue that meditation has the potential to help with that. It may be very difficult, it may even be impossible, but I'd say there's a, at least a chance.
1: What's the difference between Buddhism and Hinduism?
0: Yeah, I'm not going to answer that. Read an encyclopedia.
1: Then you're all caught up on things.
0: All right. Good enough. We'll have to talk to our IT team about... If we could get people's IP addresses, and then we could ban people by IP address, that might be a step we have to take in the future, because we may very well get bombarded. I mean, these these people who have just been uh, acting up may very well decide that they want to do something nasty to us. So we may have to find ways to prevent that. Anyway. Thanks, everyone, for for the most part, by and large, being a good group of people. That's what we're here for. If you've been, a, so if you've been the sort of invi- individual we might call a not-so-good person, well, I wish you all the best in becoming a better person for your own benefit, that you may find peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. Everyone else as well. Uh, good night, everyone. And thanks, Robin.
1: Thank you, Bhante. Good night.